You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. This week, I uh, had a little trouble sleeping in the night, and uh, this isn't typical for me, but I uh, realized I was thrashing about a little bit too much for my wife, and I, so I got out of bed. And I went into the kitchen, I pulled a blanket around my shoulders, turned on the kettle, and sat in the darkness, just kind of looked out the window. And I thought about weariness. And I realized that, you know, real weariness is not what makes you fall asleep during the day. Real weariness is what keeps you up uh, through the night. And as I sat there, I, I actually began to think about you. I began to think about the congregation. And faces were coming before me and, and names. And I wondered, what keeps him awake at night? What, what, what wakes her up in the night? And what does? What does wake you up through the night watches? Isaiah must have been a man who knew what it was to wake up in the middle of the night. And yet he speaks a word of hope. Yet he speaks a promise of renewal. As I sat there thinking about this passage and my own weariness, I thought, well, you know, if I'm wondering what keeps everybody else awake, why don't I wonder what keeps me awake? And I thought, what's gotten me out of bed this morning? And this is what I concluded. It's the distance between what is and what ought to be. And Isaiah, the prophet of the 8th century in Israel, speaks to that difference. He speaks eventually to an exilic community. God's people who have lost their land, lost their hope, lost their sense that they belong to God or are important in any way to Him. And yet... Isaiah says, comfort ye, comfort ye. There is a voice calling in the wilderness. So let's listen to that voice. This uh, Advent season, we recognize that Advent is the beginning of the Christian year. The beginning of the story of the good news of Jesus Christ. And it comes every year, I think, to us as a reminder that it's never too late to begin again. What if this Advent... We ask God to start us fresh. And so we do. And we're looking at that chapter, Isaiah 40, which uh, is spoken or alluded to at the beginning of uh, every one of the four Gospels. Because here, there's something significant that is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you pull out your Bible? We're going to read the end of Isaiah 40 this morning. And uh, so I'd encourage you to open up to Isaiah 40. Uh, verses 27 through 31. You'll find those on page 583 of the Pew Bible. And if you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's word aloud. Isaiah 40, verses 27 through 31. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel... My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 
He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. I'd like to uh, share with you three observations that I make on this text. Three observations on renewal. And the first one is this. It's that exhaustion is a part of renewal. Exhaustion is actually the beginning of a process that can lead to renewal, but it is the beginning. This poetic promise here that culminates this rich chapter, it's so beautiful. Many of you have it memorized. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Is given not to the strong, but to the weak. Not to the energetic, but to the exhausted. Renewal comes to those who know they've found the end of their resources. This is a time of year that I don't think any of you need me to tell you. Uh, we all get exhausted. Uh, and yet the, the prophet wants us to understand. Think of the most energetic thing you know. Think of a youth even a choice youth, which is probably a youth that's selected for military service because of their strength, even these will someday, at some point, come to the end of their energy and will collapse in exhaustion. All of us get tired. But don't miss an opportunity because it's right there in this very place that renewal begins. It's no accident that as Isaiah concludes this passage of Scripture, chapter 40, that he begins this final section by giving voice to his audience. Do you notice the the quotations, two little quotations that break in at verse 27? We get to hear the very people to whom Isaiah addresses his good news. We get to hear their words. These are the people Isaiah is saying, comfort you, comfort you. Be encouraged. And what are they saying? Well, verse 27, we hear, My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. What does this mean? My way is hidden from the Lord. Well, in in the ancient Near East, where uh, gods were thought to be... uh, Territorial, where every city or nation might have its own gods and every god would have its jurisdiction. And I suppose the suggestion is you could get far enough away from the city or your people that uh, God is starting to break up and you get kind of out of cell coverage. He can no longer hear you and you're beyond beyond the, the, the range of your God. The suggestion then maybe is that it's possible that I have lived my life through so many devastating twists and turns that I just found my place that's beyond the reach of God. That He can't get to me anymore. 
Or, or the other expression here, my right is disregarded by my God. This word right is the word for justice or judgment. It's kind of a legal word. And the suggestion is perhaps that, you know, maybe I've come before the judge so many times in my life that he's gone weary. And maybe I've broken God's law so frequently that he's just kind of closed the book on this case and set it on the shelf and said, I'm no longer hearing this anymore. I'm just too tired. This, this is the state of exhaustion. This is soulish, spiritual exhaustion. Exhaustion that says, even my God can no longer get through to me. This is where renewal begins. This is the condition into which Isaiah wishes to speak. This perhaps is the condition of Isaiah's own life time and time again. And yet the Lord has come to him to speak renewal into his own life. He's heard those words and now he shares them with the exilic community. And he shares them through them to us as well. We say, why? Why do you have to begin in my weakness? Why do you have to engage me in renewal only when I get to the place of total desperation? Why in this place of alienation, of isolation, of failure, of grief, of disorientation and pain? Why here? Because you see, God's not interested in topping off your strength. He wants to fill you with His strength. And so, when in the fullness of time that towards which Isaiah ultimately points occurs... And God sends his son, Jesus Christ, into time and space as a baby. He won't be born in Herod's palace. He won't be sleeping on a gilded bed. He'll come into crisis. Come into the crisis. He'll even engender the crisis of a young, young woman, an adolescent, married to an older man for who knows what reason. No, did I say married? Not yet married. And yet pregnant. Imagine the shame and the stigma. This is how God comes. And when it's time for the Savior to be born, the Savior will be born in a shed with animals and placed in a feeding trough, a manger. And throughout his whole life, this one will be dogged by his own weakness. You know, pause now. If it's quiet, wait a moment. He'll be hungry. You'll hear him cry shortly. This is a hunted child. This is a child whose life will be marked by the shame of rumors that will circulate throughout even his public ministry that he was a fatherless child, a bastard. This is the kind of crisis into which God's salvation comes. Into absolute exhaustion. And so Mary would sing her beautiful song, My soul magnifies the Lord, for he has looked with favor on my lowliness. He has raised, lifted the lowly. And so he does. And so he does. Isaiah sees it. The Apostle Paul would be woken up in the night as well. He would fall on his knees and pray to God, 
through the night watches and he would say, God, take this thorn from my flesh. We don't really know what that was, but we knew what it did. It kept him awake. Three times he asked. He would never hear an answer to the prayer other than, I'll tell you why that's there. It's because my power is perfected in your weakness, Paul. It's creating space for renewal in your life. It's the very place where my grace can show up. Oh, exhaustion is a part of renewal. The second observation I would make is that renewal is about who and not how. Who? I was awake, as I said, this uh, evening, and uh, I was thinking about my day, and the last thing I had done before going to bed, and this is unusual for me, is I had read my email. And the last email I had read was an email from a friend who was basically going through a series of resignations and publicly acknowledging that he had hit bottom in his life. And I I won't go into the details of what his bottom looked like. I don't know what your bottom looks like. But what immediately came to me was, wow, this is bad. How can we get this guy out out of this situation? You know, what can we do? It's the how question. It comes to our minds immediately. We're pragmatic people. When we see a problem, we reach out for a solution. There must be one there. It's a natural question, but it's the wrong question. The question that Isaiah brings to us is not a how question, but it's a who question. We get ready for the how question. Uh, Right after these quotations, we get ready for Isaiah's response in verse 28. And he says, well, have you not known? Have you not heard? And we go, okay, we're ready to know. We're ready to hear. What's the plan? Give us the three easy steps. Boom, boom, boom. We're in trouble. We need help. Boom, boom, boom. How do we get out? But he, he shows no interest in that question. No, he says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. The creator of the ends of the earth. The Lord does not faint or grow weary. The Lord's understanding is unsearchable. The Lord gives power to the faint. If you're considering faith in Jesus Christ, or if you're a new believer in Jesus Christ, there is no better way than to begin with the who question. And just study, just reflect on, just to meditate on the attributes of God. Who is He? If you've been walking with the Lord for a lifetime, there's no better place to spend your time than to meditate on who is the Lord. And here's a great place to begin. We have four things right here. The Lord is the everlasting God. It says something about time. From beginning to end. The Lord is the creator of the ends of the earth. It says something about space, no matter where you go. It's his turf. It says something about his energy. He does not faint or grow weary. No matter what you've done, he's patient. And it says something about his wisdom. His understanding is unsearchable. So you see, no matter when you live, no matter where you go, no matter what you've done and how often and frequently you keep doing it, And no matter how intractable 
your situation is. If you know who your Lord is, you're on the way to renewal. How is always an attempt to make sense of our lives. It's, 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 a, it's an attempt to map God to the known points in our terrain, to figure it out, to make it comprehensible. To, to try to understand how exactly I, I got in exile in the first place. Maybe I, if I know that, can find my way back out. But how will never get us back out? Who will? All the way through the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is so concerned with this question. You see, because he, Isaiah 55, he says, you know, my ways are not like your ways. My ways are so much higher than your ways. Renewal is something I do. It's not something you do. In the first century, when Jesus was born, there were all kinds of attempts to restore Israel from exile. There were all kinds of approaches to the how question, four major schools in particular. It might help you to catch these. The first school, the, the Essenes. These were ascetics, and many of them withdrew into the wilderness to Qumran along the Dead Sea, where the Dead Sea Scrolls had been discovered. And, and, and the Essenes the, the, the answer to how was withdrawal. You know, society is corrupted, and it's getting worse day by day. And, and if you really want to be God's people, maybe the thing to do is to withdraw yourself from contamination. Maybe there we can be healed. And the second group is the Pharisees. The Pharisees say, yeah, we agree society is corrupted, but the thing to do is not to withdraw from it. The thing to do is to reform it. What we've got to do is set our standards higher now. Come on. A little bit more energy and we can do it. Work a little bit harder and we can accomplish what God requires of us. Come on. The Pharisees' answer to how was reform. And the Sadducees, the Sadducees, the Sadducees' answer to how was status. These were the elites of first century Judaism. They found themselves in positions of power, and they said, you know, the Romans really aren't so bad once you get to know them. And they kind of cozied up next to them, and hoping that maybe some of their influence would rub off, and then they would know what to do with that influence, of course. They would be able to uh, change society to make it a little bit more like the one that God promises to give us the Sadducees. And then finally, the Zealots. The Zealots were those who took the sword up. These were Jewish terrorists, insurrectionists. Their how had to do with rebellion. You've just got to take it into your own hands. You've just got to use force if necessary. We will come and sweep this place clean. These strategies are ancient strategies. The schools have long since passed away. But all of the answers to the question, how, remain in my life and in yours. What if I withdraw? What if I try harder? What if I could achieve some level of status and influence? What if I just say the heck with it all and rebel? All of these are answers to the question, how? But it's not Jesus' question. Jesus takes his disciples on a hike 
takes them north of Galilee up to Caesarea Philippi, where they could be alone. Caesarea Philippi, actually a place of, of pagan uh, superstition and cult. And in this place, he asks his disciples what is undoubtedly the most important question of their lives. It, I, it is the most important question of every person's life. And the question isn't, what do men say? Who do men say that I am? The question is, who do you say I am? Who do you say? Jesus is. It's the who question. And it, of course, is Peter who says, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. To which Jesus answers, no flesh revealed that to you. That becomes known to you only by the spirit. It's already there's a work of renewal in Peter's life. So when you look into this feeding trough and behold a dirty, poor, plain baby. What do you see? Who is there? We are invited to believe in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. The Creator has stepped into His creation and become one of us. That's who. Exhaustion is a part of renewal. It's where we begin. But renewal is more about who than how. Finally, as third observation, renewal is a gift. It's a gift. It's something that's just given to us. You can notice two things here as we come now to the climax of this chapter. First of all, it's the subject of the sentence. Verse 29. He gives power. He gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. He is the one who gives renewal. The other thing to notice is the word renew itself in verse 31. It's a good translation, renew. But this Hebrew word could also be rendered change or exchange or a, a replace. It's a fairly common Hebrew word and shows up in places like where someone changes their clothes. They take one outfit off and they put another outfit on. It shows up in places uh, where Jacob, for example, his wages are changed. It's the contract shifts right in the middle of the job. Hey, I thought it was this. And no, you've swapped it out for that. We saw, find it another place in description of sacrificial offerings. If you don't have this kind of an animal, you can change it for this kind of an animal. Do you see now what Isaiah is saying? It's not that God is just adding Jesus to our lives. He's saying, I want to exchange your weariness for my strength. You give me your fatigue and I will give you my renewing energy. We see this most dramatically, I think, as we follow Isaiah's pointing finger through time to John the Baptist. 
Remember, John the Baptist is really the uh, direct uh, fulfillment of this prophecy. John the Baptist is the voice crying in the wilderness in the day that Jesus shows up. John the Baptist is the one who, at ground zero, at the heart of exile, calls back a broken, exhausted people into existence. And John the Baptist does so with a very simple message. And yet it's so simple it's deceptive. And we've got to understand what it means. John's message is this. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. John Calvin in his day said, we're prone to misunderstand that message. We're prone to think that what John the Baptist is saying is, repent and if you do, you can know God's grace and good news. And so often, so many of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, honestly think that our forgiveness is contingent upon our repentance. If your repentance is a condition of your forgiveness, then who is responsible for your renewal? You are. That's not the message of Isaiah. He gives strength to the weary, to the powerless. John Calvin says it's absolutely backwards. We've got to understand what John the Baptist is saying. He's saying, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, we may repent. Because of the good news of Jesus Christ, repentance is a possibility. Because of the grace of God, we may be renewed. But I don't think even John the Baptist understood how dramatic that message was. We see it in his perplexity. When Jesus comes face to face with John. Great story. John's here on the side of the River Jordan. He's watching all these people come and they're repenting and they're confessing their sin. And they're saying, I want a new life. And he's baptizing them with this baptism of repentance. And then someone steps out of the crowd. It's the one towards whom he's been pointing. It's the one whom he knows comes to baptize, not with water, but with fire and with the very Spirit of God. What's so troubling to John is that this one, Jesus, comes face to face to him as one who would be baptized. John says, I, I, can't, I, I can't baptize you. This is a baptism for repentance. This is a baptism for sinners who say they'll no longer sin. And Jesus says, you baptize me. And under compulsion, reluctantly, the Baptist dunks the Savior under the water. Why? Jesus has no sin to repent of, but he does repent. He repents for my sin and for your sin. Renewal is contingent upon repentance, but it's not contingent upon my repentance or yours. It's contingent upon his. What we see in the baptism of Jesus Christ is the beginning of good news. It's that towards which Isaiah points. It's the strength of the Lord doing what we could never do for ourselves. This is what Jesus, uh, John, the, uh, John Calvin calls the great exchange, the wonderful exchange. It's only possible because God has taken on humanity. Because God in Jesus Christ has a humanity that can repent on our behalf. 
God in Jesus Christ has a humanity that can rise into the presence of God as a beloved son, as a beloved daughter. C.S. Lewis says the problem with repentance is that only a bad person needs to do it and only a good person knows how to do it. (laughs) Jesus is the good person who does it on behalf of a bad person. And so we are renewed. And so our lives are reset. Not by what we do, but what, what, what he has already done. As I sat there thinking about that, I realized my friend's life has already been reset. My life has already been reset. And because Jesus is the Son of God who has sent forth the Spirit, that same Spirit is present today to make, in my experience, true what is already true in the Father and in the Son and in the Spirit because of His repentance for me. Close with a, uh, a reference to a movie, one of my favorite movies, actually, um, The Truman Show. It's a Jim Carrey movie. I don't know if you're a Jim Carrey fan, but... Uh, This is before reality television, uh, so those of you who are younger won't even understand this, but uh, they imagined a reality TV program in which a person would be born. And so they create this giant set with a, a blue covering that looks like the sky, and into this set is born one day a baby. His name is Truman. And... uh and the, the commercial power of this show is um, invested in the fact that everything around Truman is a product placement. The food he eats, you know, the music he listens to, the clothing he wears, everything is, is a product placement. And all the people in his life are fakes. They're frauds. They're actors. But Truman's as happy as it can be. He doesn't know it. He, he doesn't understand that he's living in this artificial dream world that has nothing to do with his life and everything to do with the forces of commercialism. Except there is this one woman who gets off script. She takes a liking to Truman. There's some kind of empathy in her. And she approaches him and tries to point out to him, subtly as she possibly can, without being caught by the producer, some of the inconsistencies in his world. (laughs) A light falls from the sky and smashes on the floor, a set light, and... Do you notice that, Truman? But eventually she's caught and she's whisked off the set and never to appear again. But Truman will never forget this woman's face. We find her one night in his home, cutting out, tearing out pieces of magazines of women's faces. He's building this composite, this eye and that nose, no, this nose and that mouth. He's trying to, uh, to, to, to build uh, one more image that you might look one more time into the face of this woman. I think, why? Why is she so important to him? Because she is the only person who has ever looked into Truman's face with love. And in that single expression, he recognizes reality. It's an invitation for him to come out of that world which is not life at all into that which is the fullness of life, reality itself. This is exactly what God has told us that he has done for us in Jesus Christ. He has stepped into time and space to look you in the eye and say, I love you. I embrace you in the midst of your exhaustion. I am the one who can renew your life and I give it to you as a free gift. 
You give me your despair, I give you my hope. You give me your sorrow, I give you my joy. You give me your brokenness, I give you my healing. You give me your filthy rags and I give you my righteousness. You give me death and I give you life. It's a wonderful exchange. What do you see when you look into the manger this Christmas? Do you see one who invites you, who says, come unto me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I want relationship with you. I want to be known by you. And as you do, you will be one who mounts up on wings like eagles, who runs but does not get weary, and who walks but does not grow faint. Will you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we confess that though we have heard, we have not known. Uh, we have forgotten, we have neglected, we have paid no attention to who you are. And yet you have come to impress upon us the renewal that you bring. So come this season into our lives with a freshness that we've never dreamed of. May we hear these words of Isaiah, though they be familiar to us, as for the first time. And believe them. Raise our expectations in your grace, we pray. That we might walk, run, and even fly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more UPC audio, or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.